Hi, I'm Matt Waller, and this is Dennis Hammond. And Dennis is the head of global supply chain for Unilever Health and Wellbeing. And he flew here from New York City to do this. One thing, Dennis, would you have imagined they would have something like this here when we first met? Uh, no, Matt, I, I certainly wouldn't. I think uh, you and I met uh, just about 26, 27 years ago here in Northwest Arkansas, and boy, has it changed. Yeah, Dennis and I met, uh, he was on the Lever Brothers team here in supply chain back in the mid-90s, and I had just moved here as well. And, you know, supply chain was just starting to flourish. We started a, uh, L a CSCMP roundtable, it wasn't called that back then. Um, but I would have never guessed this. It, hasn't this been a great uh, conference so far? Uh, let's give FreightWaves a hand for that. I mean, I've been in this particular facility several times per year since it was built, and I've never seen it set up uh, this nice. Yeah, it's really amazing. Well, uh, Dennis, thanks again for, for coming and doing this. It's great to see you again. Um, so one of the things we're going to be talking about uh, it's a little different. We're going to be talking about the importance of supply chain analysis in merger and acquisition work. A study was done by Bain and Company fairly recently that was published that showed that uh, the percentage of acquisitions, so if you look at large CPG companies acquiring small brands, 10 years ago that represented about 50% of the M&A activity. And today it's about 75% uh, of the M&A activity. But they did a, a further analysis and they found that firms that are making frequent acquisitions, large CPG companies in, um, of small brands, that their sales growth is two times the firms that don't and 1.8 growth uh, in um, uh, profitability. Um, so, Dennis has been, um, you have a very different job than you had when you were here in Northwest Arkansas. Yes. Um, but would you mind talking about some of the acquisitions you've had, just how important uh, the supply chain side of this is as well? Uh, yes, absolutely, Matt. And again, thank you for uh, for having me here. It's great to be here in person, I, I must say. Uh, so, yeah, so Unilever has been very active um, in the M&A space as of late, uh, particularly in the health and well-being um, category. Uh, historically, you know, we've sort of grown up doing mergers, merger and acquisition activity over the, the long history of the company. But as you rightly said, um, most recently, it's been more of a focus on smaller companies with high growth trajectories. Um, and so some of the recent acquisition activity that we've um, been involved in have been with companies such as Smarty Pants, Ali, Liquid IV, Onnit, uh, and Welly, and some other smaller firms globally as well. Those are all based here in, in the U.S., and, and we continue to explore opportunities in this space. And these, these are vitamin and mineral supplement companies primarily uh, in health and well-being, but some range everything from a, a vitamin to T-shirts to kettlebells. So from a supply chain perspective, it creates an interesting dynamic that those of us in Unilever haven't been used to uh, in the past. So just some examples of the recent acquisitions we've made. Did you say kettlebells? Kettlebells, yes. Yeah. Those are pretty heavy. 
yeah, yeah, certainly for me, they're, they're heavy. You know, we, uh, we actually had a, a story that uh, is kind of a sad but story. We, we had some unfortunate things happen to consumers where, say, their house burned down or knocked over by a tornado. But the only thing left standing was an on-it kettlebell. Uh, so uh, we have some interesting stories that have come from that business. Well, you know, when you think about um, the supplements category, I would think you all must have to be extra cautious about how you make acquisitions there because there's so many companies out there making just crazy uh, claims about their supplements. So you, you, you probably have a lot of due diligence that, that goes on for that. Oh, we, we do. And the process... Um, basically even starts prior to due diligence um, in the non-binding bid offer stage. We'll do a, a bit of analysis from an overall perspective, um, the business, research and development, regulatory, to your very point. Um, there are a lot of products out there that don't live up to the, the claims that, so we have to take a, a, a hard look into those areas in particular because some companies, when they're small, they kind of fly under the radar. But when a large company makes the acquisition, suddenly there are a lot of eyeballs on that, on that business. So you really have to make sure um, the product is, is performing as, as advertised. Um, and it's just the right thing to do. Um, and so uh, once we get into the due diligence phase, then we really dig deep, um, particularly in, in the business components, as you, might imagine, as you might imagine, but also from a supply chain perspective. You know, what is the technology that's in place, if any? Uh, are there red flags that might come to be in terms of uh, specialized ingredients that are only made in certain parts of the world? You know, are we able to acquire enough over a long period of time? Um, if they're a third-party manufacturer or a 3PL environment, what are those partners like? So we, we dig pretty deep. Um, and we'll find some interesting things sometimes, especially around uh, companies that are younger, in their maturity curve, uh, in inventory control and inventory management tends to be an area uh, that uh, we need to identify post-acquisition uh, mitigation steps um, as, as we take a look at these firms. You know, um, there are a lot of firms here that we saw out in the hall, earlier stage companies with various kinds of technologies and many times it's the medium to large companies that are implementing these logistics and supply chain technologies. Um, have you seen these smaller firms doing a good job of that or is it very manual? Generally speaking, there are exceptions, but it's, it's, it's mostly manual. Um, if I think about um, how freight is procured, um, how freight is managed, for example, um, it's almost entirely done um, by, by spreadsheets or sometimes it's outsourced completely to um, a brokerage firm that will provide end-to-end -end logistic services. I haven't seen that um, very often, but there, we do have instances where, where that is certainly the case. Um, but if I think about demand and supply planning, for yeah. example, it's almost all spreadsheets. Um, which makes sense given the, the cash that's available for investment in technology and where they are on the growth curve. But what I have found in working with these companies is that once they reach a certain uh, volume, it's not manageable anymore on a spreadsheet. And then that's when, uh, you know, Unilever can provide, um, you know, the funding and the expertise and the resources to be able to implement tools, much of like we've seen, you know, so far today to help take these companies uh, to the next level. And we've been very careful as of late 
uh, to be choiceful in the how far we go in terms of an integration. So with many of these smaller firms, we want to keep what made them famous. We don't want to lose that magic and put them into a big bureaucratic you know, global company. Um, so we let them operate on their own. However, where it makes sense, we'll bring in scale, whether that's scale buying, it could be freight, it could be materials, bore housing, et cetera, and technology as well. Well, I would think uh, in analyzing the supply chains of these smaller CPG companies that some of the problems you might see might just be macro issues. You know, I would think it's now probably more difficult than it used to be to distinguish, you know, what is a firm-specific problem versus a macro problem that potentially Unilever could really solve for them. Well, well, that's right. You know, some of the macro issues we've seen as of late, you know, and I know you're all familiar with this, the labor, labor shortages impact companies, big, small, medium. Um, it doesn't discriminate uh, in, that, in that way. Um, we'll, we'll also see... Um, you know, issues, as I mentioned, you know, in the inventory, in, in the inventory space where we intervene, which tends to be more localized to those companies. But when you think about why that may be, it could be that they've buffered more because of supply, macro supply of, of material issues that they face. So that, that's one way that they've mitigated that. And I think in some cases, the smaller companies that are more nimble have, have done actually a better job than, than the broader Unilever have in some cases um, because of their ability to act quickly and to take decisions fast. But then where there are issues like that from a macro perspective, and we have relationships with companies that can help, then we can leverage those relationships too. So it's a bit of a balance across the patch. Have you seen a case where when you went in and you did the supply chain analysis, that was the deciding factor in saying, no, we, we, can't, we can't move forward with this? Well, if we take a step back first and, and consider, you know, why are we interested in a particular firm, you know, in the first place, as of late, uh, almost all of these acquisition targets have been a growth story, you know, and so if uh, business cases have been predominantly, but not entirely based on growth, and we've de-emphasized, you know, supply chain synergy, for example, which would, which would drive a lot of large acquisitions, for example, you know, which don't always hang together the way that, that you plan. Now, we certainly build in uh, supply chain synergies. Um, we certainly are there to uh, analyze um, uh, red flags that might be present. And so to answer your question directly, there was one case in particular where it was a combination of business concern, but also supply chain around the way that materials were being uh, formulated and, and procured that kind of raised a bit of a red flag. So we, we walked away from that particular one due mostly to supply chain uh, consideration. But the primary uh, goal that we have when we run across the supply chain challenges, what would it take to mitigate those challenges? Because with enough time and money, most of the supply chain challenges can be mitigated. Time, money, and resource. And we'll let the overall business um, uh, objectives drive it. But we have to plan for those downsides. Well, Dennis, you know, it's one thing to analyze the supply chain, but after the acquisition's made, it's got to be integrated into the company. Would you mind speaking to that a little bit? Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. So, you know, if you go back in time a little bit, when, when Unilever would make an acquisition, um, the model was almost always, uh, let's bring it in uh, to our, uh, into our distribution centers. We use our carriers. We'll do joint ship in some cases you know, where it made sense because perhaps those businesses had the same customers as the core of Unilever 
And so even, even sometimes customers would say, we really want you to ship that product together. So we would do a full integration. Now, that's met with mixed um, results in some cases because the smaller companies resist things like SAP. No offense to the SAP uh, fans, but that kind of uh, solution would, would signal you know, bureaucracy and sometimes there'd be a little bit of organ rejection. Um, but what we've been doing lately is a, a bit of a hybrid where, well, because, uh, let me back up one step, we have some other companies that we just let completely run on their own. So when we bought our prestige businesses, for example, they just have run completely independent. They're part of Unilever, but they run on their own. What we've been doing lately, and I think it's working actually, probably the best model I've seen in my time, there has been a hybrid where we have these individual companies headed up by a CEO with his or her respective teams, and they operate the day-to-day business on their own. However, we'll come in um, and make decisions with them around where could we help in terms of uh, efficiencies, scale buying, uh, as I mentioned earlier, systems technology implementation. And we'll be very um, collaborative in the way that we do that so that we can keep the magic of these companies going, but at the same time, bring the scale to drive the bottom line too. Because we have some instances where the top line is quite quite strong and we're meeting and we're killing the business case, but the bottom line isn't as, as strong. So we'll, we'll bring in some scale plays where they make sense. So we're being very, very choiceful. And it's been nice to see over the years us be far more intelligent about what we're doing and not have one, one way of doing something. Having sort of these three approaches and picking the one that makes the most sense uh, has really worked out well for us. We're still early days in that hybrid model, uh, but so far, so good. <clears throat> well, that's terrific. Well, Dennis, we're about out of time, but uh, thank you for coming back to Northwest Arkansas, where we met over 20 years ago. Thank you, Good Matt. to see you again, and congratulations you on your outstanding career. And same to you. Thank you very much. <laughs>